Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 31 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 31, we are going to be talking about uh, a couple of chapters in review, John chapters 14 and 15. And then we're going to spend the rest of the show talking about some listener questions or actually fielding uh, some listener questions and the discussions that result therein, thereof, thereof too, or whatnot. We have a several uh, really great questions that have come in by email. And of course, if you'd like to get your questions in uh, as a listener or, uh, of the show, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at iq at cbqz.org. So iq for inside quizzing and cbqz, uh, short for Christian Bible quizzing, uh, Christian Bible quizzing.org, which is also where the CBQZ app lives. If you're curious about taking a peek into that. And uh, without further ado, let's uh, jump in. So we're starting off with uh, John chapter 14. And Scott, what are your what are your initial thoughts of this fairly short chapter? So 14 kind of is following a lot of the same themes as the previous chapters. This is incredibly familiar material to a lot of people, which is a double-edged sword. It might be easier to memorize, but it also may be hard for you to get word perfect if it is familiar to you in other versions of the Bible. Chapter 14 has a lot of key verses in it. There's only 31 verses, and my super quick eyeball looks like over half of them are key verses. Um, this is not a case of a lot of Jesus talking, but he is not the only one exclusively talking in this chapter. So there are some really good situation questions, and you will have to be careful as you answer them, because Jesus is not the only one talking in this chapter. As a whole, it looks very unkey or ununique. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are eight global unique words in the entire chapter. That is very, very few. So... Because this is very PNW Keevers heavy and not super unique as far as the text of it, I led off with these two big statements and I don't have a consistent conclusion to draw from that. But there, there will be a lot of good reference questions throughout here. A lot of Jesus talking, saying things like, you know, you will, I will, I know, um, and things of that nature. And yeah, I, I don't know. If it's going to, I think because it's short and very PNW keepers heavy, this is another good opportunity for a keeper specialist to just work a little bit harder and memorize the whole chapter. And it will give them a lot of, a lot of good cracks at non keepers question types. Yeah, I had sort of the same sort of idea of just glancing at the material. The first thing that sort of jumped out at me, like you said, very not key necessary material necessarily on the material side of things so it's going to lean more a little bit more towards reference questions i think there's some chapter reference questions that aren't terrible that you can pull out of this but interestingly enough i think there's going to be a fair number of chapter verse reference questions uh that, that pull out of this material so things like 14 18 i will uh well you can't say i will what so it would be i will not want so that's not exactly a, a great question there in terms of uh cvr but uh and i will what in from verse 16 and so forth or you what or there's all just all these sorts of uh, Jesus answered what, uh, from, uh, 14.9. There's all sorts of chapter verse reference, uh, opportunities within the material. The other thing that sort of jumped out at me is there are a fair number of, I guess what you would call fairly easy to answer from the, the purely the answer perspective situation questions. Maybe not, maybe not necessarily the quotes, uh, but there's a lot of fairly straightforward situation questions, like from verse five, verse six, verse eight, verse nine. Uh, you know, in verse five, Thomas said to him, so you need to be able to clarify the him there. Uh, which, of course, going backwards in time, that means it's actually, I'm, I'm doing this on the fly, obviously. That means that four or five cannot be asked as a hymn unless you want to go forward, because hymn is only clarified in verse six. And so this kind of relates to what we were talking about last week then. Uh, so if I'm going to ask a situation question from 14.5, I can't ask for a hymn. Uh, I think you can. You can? Because I think I think tech I think technically thirteen thirty eight is five verses away. Oh uh, but that means I have to cross chapter boundary. Alright. So thirty eight, then Jesus answered. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that is within five. 
So that's one, two, four, five. So yeah, you could get four, five, uh, 14, five, uh, Thomas said to him, but that becomes rather tricky too. Uh, but a it short does. quote, short quote though. It does become tricky, but thankfully Jesus is identified on either side of 14, five and it's, there's not a whole lot of back and forth. So it, it is clear in this case, Yeah. but I think you're right. A lot of situation questions are going to have either just a who said it or who said it to whom. There's really not a lot of strong hows or whens, wheres, whys, um, which can complicate answering a situation question. So if you're confident on the, the text of the material, um, you may not have to go around a ton to pull out whens and wheres and those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, keep an, keep a lookout for things like the difference between 14.9, Jesus answered, and uh, 14.23, Jesus replied. I think you can do... Uh, Verse 23 is a chapter reference. You can't really do... I don't know that you could really do anything reasonable with verse 9 in terms of a reference question. Oh, well, Jesus what, I suppose. suppose well, no, because that would trail into 10 and 11. That would be and beyond, actually. So I don't know. How would you, how would you turn verse 9 into a reasonable chapter verse reference question? Um, something like who answered would work. Um, don't you what might be a, a chapter verse reference. I have been what might be one long what as well. Anyone who what who has seen me was would not be a good one because it's kind of the who has seen me is stating who the who is. And so putting that into a question would not really work well. I don't know if show us show yeah, show us whom would be a decent chapter verse reference. It is the father both times which could make it less likely to be written since it's not te- testing much, but that could definitely be one. Um, there's a lot of I wills and he wills in here, and some of them are definitely going to be multiple answer. I think that multiple answer references are almost as close to a gimme as you can get. If you, you know, if you do, you do have to know the material well. But once you know that it's a multiple answer, it's very rare to have two potential multiple answer reference questions in the exact same verse. So looking at uh, verse 6, I am what? The way and the truth and the life. You can bet that's going to be a CBRMA. Verse 3, I will what? Come back and take you to be with me. Um, those are two that pop out right now, but I, those are definitely going to definitely going to show up. Yeah, definitely. I am the way, the truth, and the light is going to life, and that's, that, that's definitely going to be uh, popping in for sure. I would be careful with interrogatives that start with who, because there's a lot of really good ones in this verse, and the answers are going to be either Jesus or the Father, which are different persons of the deity. But I can see who will remind you of everything I have said to you, who will teach you all things, um, which is actually, the answer in that case is the advocate, the Holy Spirit. But then it goes on to say, whom the Father will send in my name. So who will send in my name is a little bit awkward, but that answer is the Father. But who will teach you all things and who will remind you of everything I have said to you is the advocate, the Holy Spirit. So that's the third um, person of the Trinity in play here, which can be very confusing. So it helps to take a little extra time to make sure that you are always quoting the right deity, because if you misquote, even if it is purely a misquote, um, it doesn't really matter what your intention was. You can't switch between persons of the deity. Yeah. Take a look at verse 27. Uh, Would you be okay with a chapter, verse, reference, multiple answer, I what? So... Kind of. I generally don't like those super short um, reference questions. I think there's plenty of good ones that you don't have to write. Jesus what, I what, he what, they what. There are times where I will write it because it's a multiple answer. In this case, I also I really wouldn't write I what because in the second sentence in verse 27, I do not what. It would be asking a negative, which is invalid. I would write... Yeah, so I really wouldn't mess around with I what in that verse. Peace I what would be a multiple answer, because that occurs twice in verse 27, and that is the only time it occurs in the material. So peace I what would be a multiple answer question, no reference needed. And then something like do not what from the end of the verse would be a great chapter verse reference, multiple answer. I don't know if you can really structure a really good multiple answer reference off the word give. I think it would be awkward to, to do it, and I wouldn't force it. You would use do not want, do not what multiple answer off the last sentence, but you wouldn't, uh, 
you wouldn't see that as uh, getting muddled up with the second sentence? I really wouldn't. I could. I would have a hard time calling that tricky. I would. I would almost consider it more tricky if I included all three do not what's because that middle one is kind of after the I. Yeah. So I think it would be awkward to write that part of it. But I would totally write do not what. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Do not what. It's a CBRMA. All right, cool beans. Well, let's take a look at 15. What are your thoughts there? So 15, thankfully, 15 is pretty familiar material. It's got a good amount of unique stuff throughout. It's not very long, but it is only Jesus talking. So for some people, it can be harder to memorize because there are, I don't see any breaks in here. There's no breaks to make it a story. This is just Jesus talking. Now, for me, I always preferred that sort of structure, so the epistles were easier for me to memorize the narrative material, but I understand that it is the opposite for some quizzers. There are pretty much 80% of this chapter is a key verse within PNW, so this is an amazing chance for key verse quizzers to just memorize another five verses, seven verses, and then you've got a whole chapter memorized. Even though it is very unique, there will be good reference questions from this chapter. I think... There's almost going to be zero situation questions from this chapter because there's no there's no introduction of Jesus anywhere here that I can see. Yeah, so I, I think, can't imagine any situation questions coming from here. It's just it's just quoting, really. Yeah. So a lot of good interrogatives. There will be good reference questions. So yeah, I think if you're a situation question quizzer, you can be prepared that there won't there's not going to be any from this chapter. Um, but if you are a specialist in other types, I think this could be a really good chapter to memorize. It's not long, uh, so you can jump competitively on reference questions, both chapter references and chapter verse references. And because it's key verse heavy, if you're a key verse specialist, you should be able to get a lot of interrogatives from this chapter. Just make sure you're focused in case you hear something that you recognize. And I would take a little extra time reading over those global unique words there in blue. A quick look at them, a lot of them I wouldn't really write into a question. I don't think itself can be written into a question at verse 4, wish in verse 7. Um, I guess you could write one's what in verse 13, one's life for one's friends. But hmm, I wonder if one that could be considered misleading. In John 8, 9, there's the word one's not possessive, O-N-E-S. Yeah, and we have to go based on the pronunciation uh, rather than the you know actual uh, specific spelling. So in this case, I think they're homonyms. That's a homonym, right? Two different words, but the pronunciation is exactly the same. Sure, maybe. I have no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, I know that there was a in Hebrews. There's a chapter that has P A S T past and P A S S E D past, both as chapter uh, chapter unique words and could both be written as a chapter reference question, but because they sound exactly the same phonetically, I think it would be considered tricky and misleading to write that as a question. And I don't know how I feel about one's what. I probably would agree that one's what shouldn't be written as a multiple answer, even though the other occurrence of one's, so the older ones in John 8 9, it can't really be written as a good interrogative or a good multiple answer, but the fact that it can't be does not make one's what from 1513 not tricky, if that makes sense. So I really wouldn't, I really wouldn't like to see 1513 one's what as a multiple answer. Let's see. Other unique words in the chapter. I think excuse, treat, persecuted, belonged, choose, appointed. You're going to see all of those in an interrogative somewhere in the question. Master's business, showing, withers, bears, cuts. So... There's definitely some good good words here, and again, if you're a keeper's quizzer, I would encourage you to memorize this whole chapter. It's a small amount of work, and I would also read over those global unique words in blue a little bit extra. But if you're a quizzer, regardless of how much of the material you're memorizing, I would just kind of linger when you hit those global unique words, and you might get a little extra, a few extra questions just because of a little bit of time spent on the blue words while you're reading through the chapters. Yeah, and I mean... The the thing that I would look at also are some things that catch my eye are red words. You know, if you're looking in CBKZ marked up material, red words that lead 
uh, sentences that seem to be able to be like either one word simple chapter reference questions. So uh, verse four, neither what, or uh, verse 23, whoever what, uh, very straightforward, uh, simple chapter reference questions. But then looking at verse 14, I have a question for you here on verse 14. Uh, you are my friends if you do what I command. What would be a better question? Uh, you are my friends if what, or you are my friends when? I don't really have a strong preference between those two. Oftentimes with interrogative questions, how the question ends doesn't really matter that much because quizzers are already jumping. And especially in this one where no matter how you end it, the quizzer just has to go forward and finish the verse. Now, if you said, if you do what I command, what? I really wouldn't prefer that question because you're kind of, it's a little bit awkward. And then you're making the quizzer go back to the beginning of the verse, which I have no need to make the quizzer do unnecessarily. But you are my friends. I kind of like if what better. I I totally get why the if clause is the answer to the when interrogative, but it still feels a little bit awkward to me. So I avoid it if I absolutely can. In this case, I don't think either question would be confusing to a quizzer. All right, cool. Now, Any other uh, thoughts on 15? Yeah, in 1525, I've seen a couple couple verses in John with this structure what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. And just be careful, because what is written is your classic reference question. In this chapter, it's going to be a chapter-only reference. But I, I've also seen the reference question written where? Written in their law. And so to be able to differentiate between those two, you can as a quizzer. But if you quote backwards, you will not be able to differentiate between those two. So it will be helpful to quote it in pieces. And so not purely backwards, I would say, say written in their law first off, and then maybe jump to the end of the verse and say they hated me without reason, and then move backwards from there. So there there are going to be these little cases occasionally where quoting backwards will not always get you, will not always isolate the right reference question. Yeah, so very important when you jump quickly on those types of questions, take uh, take a few seconds out of your 30 to kind of think about how you want to answer before you jump in. It's very easy to uh, feel very confident about it, jump in, start saying stuff, and ultimately get it wrong because of uh, a technicality like that. Absolutely. And that's why when I memorized the material, I wanted to be able to recall the reference, the, recall the verse once I heard the reference really, really fast within a couple seconds so that I had the time to strategize around how I wanted to quote that verse. And actually looking at verse 20, I see, let me just make sure. No, I thought I saw two chapter verse reference multiple answer questions, but actually in verse 20, there's a multiple answer question, if they what, but then there's also a good chapter verse reference question in that one. And actually now that I, no, yep, it is a chapter verse reference multiple answer in 1520. See if you can take a look and figure out what it is. If they what is a good multiple answer question. And then there's a, another question in 1520 that's a chapter verse reference with a multiple answer. I think that's all in verse 15. So we've got some listener questions. And this first one is interesting. It deals with situation questions. And we're in 1239, I believe. Ooh. Yes, so 12.39 and then flowing into verse 40. So 39 starts for this reason they cannot believe because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor, nor turn, and I would heal them. And the question was, could a, re a situation question be written here with the who said it being Isaiah and the, like, where was it said being the unique word elsewhere? So without being necessarily stated in, part, in the question, there are a few few things to deal with here around the validity. And what do you think, Griffin? Well, it seems on the surface, I, admittedly, I'm, I'm uh, quite a bit shortchanged on sleep right now. But looking at this, it feels like uh, Isaiah and elsewhere would be valid as a situation question. But what do you think? So sometimes people have different reading of the rule book. And in point two under situation questions, it says must be a direct quotation from scripture by a person or an entity. And to some people, it is not a direct quotation when it is not being spoken in like the time of this book being written. It's like being recalled from someone who spoke it 
years ago or in a different time. But to me, I mean, it's set off by quotation marks. I think it's super clear. And so I would write this all day as a, as a situation question. Who said it and where? Isaiah said it elsewhere. And then the quotation is, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. And even when there are places where John is speaking and he says, um, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, make straight the way for the Lord, I will write, make straight the way for the Lord as a who said it, Isaiah said it. And then I will also write a quotation, John said it, starting like in, as was said, you know, before in the prophets, um, in the words of Isaiah the prophet. So that one, some people go back and forth because the New Testament does refer to Old Testament quotations. And to some people, those aren't direct quotations. But to me, I don't, I don't know. I think that's being a little nitpicky is not the right word. I just don't think that's the intent of the language, direct wording, direct quotation in the rule book. And so I think those are very clear. They're expected. I think it's a good test of the material. Now, make straight the way for the Lord who said it. Theoretically, if someone says John, they're not wrong. So in those cases, if a quizzer does say John, I usually just let them continue answering because I don't think John is really an incorrect answer, but I want them to get to Isaiah specifically. So now I'm jumping, I know, to a different context, not not in 12. But what say you, Griffin? Yeah, I totally agree. That was a good question, and I like it when quizzers are really thinking about the implications of, like in this case, it's an Old Testament quotation, and what's the best way to write that into a situation question? But yes, we do think a who said it and where is going to be great. We have- so the, the next question, uh, I can feel this one. Um, I have uh, some fairly strong opinions about challenging, but the next question reads as follows. I wanted to know if you have any advice for improving my challenging and rebuttals, uh, besides memorizing uh, page 23 of the rule book. And I, we can sort of extend that a little bit and say, besides just memorizing all of the rule book. So certainly there are some basic things that need to be there, uh, before you can be really good at challenging. Number one, you do have to memorize the material itself. Uh, I won uh, w- many years in the past. I was a coach of a team where the captain, uh, decided to memorize the rule book instead of the material. And it didn't, his challenges were very clear and concise and he could quote you, you know, various different parts of the rule book, but his challenges frequently didn't actually hold much muster, uh, because he couldn't go back to the material and actually quote any of the material. So it, memorizing the rule book instead of the material is a fool's errand. I don't recommend doing that. Uh, so step one, you definitely want to have a good grasp of the material. That's always step one. Uh, step two, don't worry about memorizing the rule book, but, you know, read through it a few times, become comfortable with it, familiar with it around the basics of it. I wouldn't say you have to memorize page 23. That's that's not necessary, uh, but just become comfortable with the idea of what's happening within uh, the different components of the rule book. And then once you've got that under background, I would say there's a couple of things actually... Well, actually, exactly two things that I would recommend in the process of challenging. And the first one is uh, when you think there's an opportunity to challenge, when you think that, that you might want to challenge, stand up, get the attention of the quiz master, but then pause, right? Uh, you have... A, you can you can pause and you can take as long as you'd like to think about your challenge before you issue a challenge, right? Uh, and this gives you a, a, an opportunity to kind of sort things out in your head to kind of figure out, am I right? Am I wrong? Uh, do I actually want to proceed with this challenge? If I do want to proceed, how am I going to argue my case? And, and how can I argue my case in the most effective way? If you get to the end of, let's say you take 10 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever, and then you realize, you know, this just isn't that strong of a challenge, you can sit back down, no harm, no foul, it's not a big deal, and we just continue on with uh, with the quiz. But I recommend that you take that time to get yourself mentally prepared before you issue the challenge. So then once, let's say you've done that, right? You've, you've, um, you know, memorized the material. You, you're familiar with the rule book. You've stood up and got the attention of the quiz master. You've thought about your, your challenge. You feel comfortable with it. And then you're about to recite your challenge. I recommend you do your challenge or you recite your challenge in three parts. Basically, 
explain so so part number one and it doesn't really matter what these part the order of these three parts although it kind of flows in in the, the order that i'm going to explain but but make sure you have these three parts number one say what happened you know uh the person answering said x instead of y or whatever it happens to be uh then two say what is incorrect or correct or whatever it is that 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 is incorrect about the ruling right so if uh the the person uh did not say a, a unique word but they were counted correct you would say well they said this but there is a unique word that and they didn't say that you counted them correct so those are the first two parts and then the third part is very important and it's fairly short you describe what you want to have happen now you don't have to be uh, you don't have to be super right about the third part, but I think it's important to throw that out there, right? Um, it kind of gives a nice closure to your statement, right? So you're saying, uh, even, and, and of course, keep in mind, the quiz master may, may agree with your challenge, but not necessarily agree with your conclusion of what should happen or your desire of what should happen and might take, take a different, uh, tack. And that's completely fine. But I think it's important to kind of throw out a suggestion, uh, for the quiz master to consider. So the idea of saying, well, the, the, uh, the, the question, ha they said, uh, this, there is a unique word that they didn't say that you counted them correct, but unique words are required. Therefore, you should have counted them, uh, incorrect, but they had more time. So I think you should throw out the question, right? And then just sit back down. And you can get those three parts out there fairly succinctly, fairly clearly. And if you can do that, uh, I think that's really all there is to, to, to challenging. So Scott, what do you think? I think those are great points. And I think it's really helpful to state everything that clearly, even if almost all the time people aren't in disagreement about what has already happened. It's very helpful to state your version of what has happened. Some thoughts I had for, on this question were, there are parts of the rule book that I would read over, but quickly and definitely no attempt to memorize at all. Like pages 17 through 22 talk about all the question types. Um, page 23 is where it talks about challenging, but I actually don't find that terribly important to actually be good at challenging. But some key sections are page 8, because this lays out things that the quizmaster has to do. And if the quizmaster doesn't do them, you can challenge that. So I think that's a very important thing to know. Page 11 and 12 talks about correct answers, and page 12 talks about incorrect answers. And those are kind of, to me, the key sections, because when I'm wrestling over rulings, it's always on, is the quizzer correct, is the quizzer incorrect? It's, it's very infrequently over, is this a valid question or is it an invalid question that I've asked. Now, one thing that I think the quizzer should always do, and this is part of your three points, is say kind of where they differ from the ruling that was made. There are times where a quizzer will jump, answer a question, I will clearly deliberate over it, and then rule something like, quizzer is correct. And then an, another quizzer will get up to challenge and say, I think that they went out of context and should be counted incorrect, and then sit down. To which I want to just say out loud, like, that's exactly what I've been deliberating this whole time. You need to tell me why you think they went out of context. What was it that they said? Because I was obviously thinking about that same thing and ruled that they did not go out of context. That's why I called the quizzer correct. Now, I'm not infallible. I'm definitely fallible. So you, need, you have the opportunity to state your case of why you think the quizzer went out of context. And sometimes quizzers will just skip that part. And this is your opportunity to be persuasive and to state your case right there. And then the last bit of what, they, what you want to have happen, I've had the discussion before, if the challenging quizzer says what they want to have happen, and if they're incorrect about that, like let's say they think the quizzer should be counted incorrect, but the way I ruled because they had time left, there's no way I could count the quizzer wrong. It's either correct or throw it out. Um, to me, that doesn't invalidate their whole challenge. My, and, and a similar thing is if, if a quizzer challenges and talks about, let's call it line of reasoning A, but while they're challenging, I think of line of reasoning B that I had not thought of when I was making my original ruling. Can I kind of accept the challenge, but for reasons unrelated to what was said in the challenge? And I've kind of, at the end of the day, I said, my job is to get it right. And so it's not to 
only think about what the challenging quizzer says. If I if if at any point I think that I've made an incorrect ruling, I'm going to make what I think is the correct ruling, whether it was talked about in the challenge or not. And that's kind of an interesting way to think about it. Do you do the same thing, Griffin? Yeah, I completely, completely, completely agree. And any quiz master who is feeling differently about this, I would urge you to reconsider. The goal is not to for the goal of a quiz master is not to be right or wrong. Like, like, um, it's not to, it's not to look at my accuracy as some sort of badge, uh, from, from the initial reading of the question or something. It's the, it's getting to global accuracy independent of, of me as a quiz master. Uh, so yeah, exactly. If, if somebody is challenging on something that, completely doesn't make sense and it's a terrible challenge and it, it, they're they're really not providing any you know information that's accurate or correct or compelling or anything but they say something that triggers in my mind a different way of looking at the answer that I hadn't considered or or I become aware of some uh, error that I made uh, prior to, uh, you know, in, in the process of, of reciting the question, if I become aware of that, I think it's, I, I think I'm obliged to accept the challenge, even though I'm not accepting their challenge, I'm accepting a challenge. And they were just the one who were, who basically stopped the the, the quiz and said, hang on, I, I want, I want a reconsideration of, of, of that particular ruling. I think that is an incredibly important thing. I'd, I'd also sort of think about challenging, I don't know, forgive me lawyers out there in the listening audience, I'm going to get this terribly wrong because I'm not a lawyer, but it's almost as though you're arguing a case before the court of appeals, right? So you are, you have your uh, arguments that you can make. The judges don't necessarily have to agree with your specific arguments to award you victory in the debate in the court of appeals, right? They may, may completely disagree with your, uh, with your case, with your, uh, with your argument that you're bringing before the case, but actually side with you anyway because of some other something in the law that they're realizing or, or that they're debating over or some sort of other sort of, uh, 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 case law or, or something that they're, they're, that they're considering. I think similarly as, as quiz masters and as answer judges, we're sort of in that moment of looking at, we want to get to universal global accuracy rather than just purely on the, on the merits. Now, that being said, uh, keep in mind also in our district, we are incredibly blessed to have some really dedicated, really awesome quiz masters. And uh, all of the quiz masters really want you to succeed. And they all of us really want you to get the question correct. And uh, we're certainly going to be thinking very clearly about the ideas that you're presenting to us and also kind of thinking uh, meta and abstractedly as well about other ideas in, and to see if there's any other way that we can uh, consider ourselves as quiz masters incorrect and, and alter our rulings and so forth. That's kind of what's going on in our head. That's not always the case universally, right? So if you're quizzing in a different program or in a different district, or if a quiz master is having a particularly bad day in our district or, you know, is sleep deprived like I am right now, they could mess up, right? Uh, and, and, and they can also, their biases can come into play, unfortunately. They shouldn't, but, you know, we're all human and we make mistakes and we let our biases get in the way of our clear thinking sometimes. If you stand up and you clearly articulate, you know, point, you know, what happened, what's wrong, what was the violation of the rules, and what should happen as a result of it, and you clearly state it, you know, succinctly, one, two, three, that presentation of your idea instead of sort of wandering around a little bit uh, and, and, and eventually getting all of the idea out, it lends some, I guess what you would call artificial credibility uh, to your point. Uh, and I think in some cases, some weaker quiz masters might, might be more compelled to consider your idea if it's articulate rather than inarticulate. And that, that shouldn't be a consideration. The articulateness should not be a consideration. It's the idea and the accuracy that should be the consideration. But, you know, we're human and this is just sort of something that, that's, that's part of it. So when you get up there, try to be as succinct and clear parts one, two, and three, uh, and articulate as you can. Absolutely. And it brings up another belief that I have, and 
That's you could have the exact same situation happen in two different quiz rooms, but based on the quality of one challenge and the relative lack of quality of another challenge, end up in different rulings. Because I think that there are many times talking about in context, out of context, or correct or incorrect, well, correct or not quite correct, where it's a very gray judgment area. And if a quizzer presents a really good case in one room and a quizzer in a different room presents a poor case, I can totally see different rulings happening, and I'm absolutely fine with it. I know some people think that if it's the exact same situation, you should have the same end result all the time. But I definitely think quality of challenging is a a skill that can differentiate quizzers, albeit to a very small amount. Yeah, I tend to agree. I want there to be a universal, single, uh, unambiguous answer, but reality is definitely, there's a lot of gray there. So that was another one of our listener questions. That's a great question, and you can email those into iq at cbqz.org. Another question was, there's a quizzer whose goal it is to make Great West, and within PNW, that's the top 20 quizzers, so about the top fifth of our district, and wanted to know if... um, we could provide some information about the competition. So some thoughts that I... Actually, why don't you go first, Griffin? Why don't you, do you have thoughts about the competition of Great West and how to kind of give a first look to a quizzer that's never been there before? Yeah, so I can provide a little bit of information, but my my data is going to be very old. Uh, the last time I went to Great West was... Uh, I mean, it, it must have been 10, 12... No, it would have been more than 10 years ago. I guess 12 plus years ago or something like that. So it's been quite a while since I've been to Great West. I'm hoping to go again this year. I'm very much looking forward to it and hoping to make that a reality. So anyway, I'll tell you my experience from, you know, decade and a half ago or something like that. I'm sure things have shifted and, and migrated a little bit since then. So there's a couple of things that sort of struck me. The first I think my first experience at Great West was kind of twofold. I was impressed with the quality of the quizzing from the other districts. Uh, the other districts that, that, that attend. So there's, there's, uh, uh, PNW, there's, there's Canadian Midwest and, and, um, um, uh, CMD. No, wait, that is Canadian Midwest. Uh, sorry, Western Canada, right? Uh, Western Canada, uh, Canadian Midwest and, and Pacific Northwest. And I was impressed with the quality of quizzing at the, uh, in the other districts. Uh, it was really fantastic to see. I, having never been to a Great West before, I had no idea what to expect. Uh, so I don't think I walked in with any sort of expectations one way or the other, but I was, uh, pleasantly surprised with the quality of the quizzing. But at the same time, I also recognized that just like in PNW, there's, you know, certainly the top five to 10 people that are crazy good. And I can't imagine how, you know, I could study uh, hours and hours and hours every day. And I don't know that I would ever get to that kind of quality. Um, and so I was really impressed with that, but I also noticed that, you know, there's sort of the, the sort of the next tier of quizzer, call it the 10th place through 20th place, who was really good and had studied and prepared, but they didn't have necessarily the material completely perfect all the way through word perfect, uh, in its entirety. And so there was sort of a comfort behind that, you know, this idea of saying, yeah, these other districts, they might be, uh, some a little bit better, maybe some that aren't quite so good, but in general, they have their top quizzers and they also have people that are a little bit more like me, you know, who are, uh, you know, willing to put in the time and the effort and get really good, but they're not say on that sort of top tier level. And for me, if I was a quizzer kind of walking into that, especially as my, as a rookie, I think there's some comfort to that, to know that, that I don't have to necessarily be an internationals quizzer and actually feel pretty comfortable about competing at the Great West level. Now, that being said, the Great West level by definition is tighter competition. It's a, it's stronger competition than what you'd be used to at a district level, uh, meet just by the nature of how Great West is organized. So certainly the averages are a lot higher. The competition is a lot higher. The jumping speed is a little bit stronger. Uh, the precision is a lot stronger. And so there's, uh, it's not internationals quizzing, but it's definitely on that spectrum. It's sort of heading in that direction. Uh, in terms of what you sort of can expect outside of the quiz room, 
uh, just incredibly awesome people who are fun to be around. Uh, a lot of really wonderful, I mean, these are all Christians. These are all wonderful people and, uh, very friendly, polite and respectful. And I just, I really love that environment where you're talking about like, you know, hundreds of people crammed into a space over, you know, a couple of days and everybody gets a little bit sleep deprived. Some people get a lot sleep deprived. And yet everybody is still incredibly friendly in this competitive, encouraging environment. And so we're a really wonderful thing to see and a really wonderful thing to experience. Totally. It was different for me because while there is a range of Great West Quizzer, it was still a new experience to have 12 quizzers on the stage, all pretty much jumping at the same speed. So note there weren't like three of the quizzers who were jumping on recognition. Everyone was kind of jumping within a syllable or syllable and a half of each other, which was a totally new experience. And when I went to Great West my first time, I knew I was a good quizzer, but I had no concept of how, how like, if I was good in a, like, relative to the top quizzer or... And so it was... I stated that really poorly, but the first time I went to Great West was a very eye-opening experience for me because I saw the majority of quizzers jumping much faster than I was wanting to jump and getting them right at a rate that I only hoped I could get them right at. And I was like, so how's this happening? It's obviously not luck if three quarters of the quizzers are jumping way faster than me and still getting it right. And it kind of, because I had the motivation to do more work, it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that there is more work that can be done and better preparation that you can do and set me on a course to do more of that work. I also liked Great West because it was very team-focused, and I think that that's really fun when most of the teams have five quizzers. Not most of the teams. I guess only one of the districts sends five-person teams. But where all the teams have at least four members, and so you see a lot more third- and fourth-person bonuses, the difference in skill from the worst quizzer on a team to the best quizzer on the team is very small, which I love. Um I like it when everyone's contributing and different quizzers step up in different quizzes. One of the biggest changes for me was resetting my expectations because in the district, your goal is often to quiz out every single quiz. Well, at Great West, you might have 10 quiz outs total in an entire meet. And so the average, the individual averages are much, much lower than in district meets, which can be a shock. And to a quizzer that's used to getting two, three, four questions a quiz they can feel like they're doing awful when they go one or two quizzes without getting one question correct. When in reality, if you average one correct question at Great West, you will easily be in the top half of quizzers, probably in the top third. And in my experience, that resetting of your expectations is one of the biggest keys to actually doing well. Because if mentally you get down on yourself when you have some dry quizzes, then it affects your quizzing down the road. In the district, if you went two or three quizzes getting zeros, yeah, you would have a pretty poor average, but that's just not the case at Great West. So the quizzers are jumping. Everyone's jumping competitively. No one's really jumping on recognition. And and yet, even though these quizzers are good, they push the pace a little bit higher. The accuracy is still hovering around 50 to 60%, which is lower than our district, and the scores aren't going to be super high. So I would not get crazy intimidated about the faster jumping speed. You kind of have to jump in and match the speed, but you shouldn't think that at that faster jumping speed, everyone's going to get questions right at the same rate that you're used to seeing quizzers get them right within the district. So there's, there's a lot going on, but at the end of the day, if you work hard on memorizing whatever portion of the material you know and really making sure you know that and then just kind of get acclimated to the, the jumping speed, it can be different to jump at a two, three-syllable pace if you're used to jumping on recognition, but ask your coach to help out. And I think that's kind of part of the fun is to realize that you can jump at a faster speed and know it based on three syllables because all Great West quizzers know a lot of material and I think that's a really cool experience seeing them get questions on a really fast jump and sometimes surprise themselves. Yeah, totally. And this kind of leads us a little bit into our fourth and final question. Uh, although you probably get this question a lot and we do, uh, do you have any ideas for studying so as to make it to and succeed at uh, quizzing at uh, great West? So, I don't know that there's anything unique 
about studying for Great West more than studying for, say, just getting better at the district level or preparing uh, at for international. Certainly, the as you kind of ratchet it up from district to Great West to internationals, you're kind of tightening the screws. You're getting deeper and deeper into memorizing more and more. You're trying to get more and more uh, word perfect. And of course, references, memorizing with references is, in, is incredibly important. But there's nothing I would say that you're going to do differently, say, at Great West or at Internationals that wouldn't be a good idea to, to practice at at the district level as well. So, you know, try and memorize more and more of the material. Uh, try to get to 100%. Whatever you do memorize, memorize with references. Memorizing with references is probably the single most important thing that could improve quizzing that I've seen at the district levels in the last couple of years. If you can get, even if you don't have all the material, if whatever material you can memorize, if you can put references behind that, that will tremendously aid you, not just in terms of being able to, you know, jump at and obtain quote questions and then, you know, various reference questions, but I think it's also a nice mental categorization tool to be able to go, okay, that's in, you know, verse 30, that's in verse 38, that's in verse 44, and being able to sort those things correctly in your head, I think is really valuable. One quizzer I coached many years ago, uh, as he was preparing for district championships. And then sort of from that, he was going to leapfrog, of course, into internationals team practice and then preparing for and then attending internationals and competing at internationals. He would practice quoting the material verse by verse backwards. So, you know, uh, quote 48, 47, 46, 45, and then just kind of keep his way, keep working his way backward through the material. And that was a way to kind of break it apart from the, Break it apart from sort of the, if you memorize verse one and then verse two and verse three, if you, if you recite verse two, it's fairly easy to move right into verse three. The brain sort of connects those two in series. So if you kind of mix that up a little bit and break it apart, uh, it can aid you in jumping to a specific point in the material. Uh, mentally. The other thing that I would say, and again, all of this I think is valuable to practice at the district level and, and to practice at your church, uh, church practices, and it will aid you both at the district level and then beyond. I would get in the habit of trying to mentally get yourself to a point of being independent. What's a good way of saying this? Get yourself to a point where each question that happens in a particular quiz is in your mind independent of every other question. That's not really the way it ought to work in practice, especially if you're captain, because you're sort of looking at the whole structure of the particular quiz and you're saying like, well, okay, there's been these sorts of numbers of questions here. There might be another question over here, that sort of thing. Um, but the idea of saying that when you answer a question or if, you know, let's say you're in verse uh, 12 or not verse 12, you're on question 12. The fact that let's say you got an error on verse 10 should be irrelevant to you on verse 12, right? So you sat out on, on 11. When 12 gets called, you need to be at sort of that state of mind where the beginning of question 12 emotionally, where you happen to be, uh, even just physiologically sitting on your seat and the focus that you provide uh, for being able to jump needs to be exactly the same on 12 as it was on 10. And for that matter, exactly the same on 17, 18, 19, and 20. There's a tendency to kind of feel the tension, especially in tight quizzes, kind of ratchet up towards the end. Uh, that's wonderful from a spectator's perspective, and that energy definitely exists. You can use your church practices and your district meets to practice subduing that energy uh, internally. Try to treat questions 17, 18, and 19 exactly the same way with the same level of focus and precision and sort of a sense of inner calm as you would say 7, 8, and 9. So I don't know. Beyond that, uh, uh, Scott, what are some of your ideas? Yeah, so it brings to mind, you know, 20 things, but let me try to pick out a few. I think you're very right that everything that you're doing in the district is helpful for doing well at Great West and internationals. I think your focus needs to become even greater and if you to succeed at Great Western Internationals. And I would just be extremely ruthless with the amount of material that you do know. So obviously it's better to memorize the entire material. 
but very few quizzers really do. So whatever amount of material you want to memorize from one verse of the entire material to all the verses, I would memorize it really, really well and hold yourself to a very high standard. I would memorize it with references. I would be able to quote it word perfect the first time you quote it through so no one has to prompt you for again. If someone gives you the reference of that verse, you should be able to start quoting it within a couple seconds. And I would just be ruthless with yourself. Now, again, it might only be 10 verses of the whole material, but you will score a lot better at Great Western Internationals if you know those 10 verses cold, backwards and forwards. And this, and knowing the reference is not really about being able to answer reference questions. It does help, but it's almost like you're setting a higher standard of memorization for yourself because the reference is involved. And if you set that higher standard, if you ever jump on a question from that verse, you get it right. To me, it's there couldn't be anything more frustrating at Great Western Internationals than jumping on something and getting something unique and not being able to convert it into a correct question. It's very hard to win jumps at a good speed. And so I always tried to study so hard that if I want to jump on unique material, it was automatic that I would get it right, knowing that I I wouldn't get 80 chances during a meet um, where I would jump on something unique. I might get 20. I might get 10. And I had to make them count when I got them. And then that kind of also leads into what Griffin was saying about compartmentalizing between questions and not having past questions affect future questions. At these elite meets where the jumping speed gets pushed really high, that pushes the accuracy down close to 50%. And so you have to trust that if you know the material well, over time, your accuracy will be around or above that 50%. But it could be you jump on multiple straight, multiple answers at two and a half syllables, and it's stuff that is very vague or you have to guess on and you don't get them right. But you can't look only at the outcomes of those questions and say, I must be doing it wrong. You have to analyze your process and say, hey, I'm jumping at a speed that I know is good. I do know my multiple answers well. And over time, I will get these right if I continue jumping at this speed and don't let my past results affect how I go about jumping on future questions. But my main overarching advice is be ruthless. Memorize one verse super well and then go to that second verse. So if right now you know you have a couple chapters that you're really sketchy on, I might say don't even review those. Review all of the other chapters, read them, quote them, Add in the references, and it's really going to help your score when you can jump on every single question type if it is from one of those chapters. Yeah, completely agreed. All right, well, that is the end of our listener questions and uh, pretty close to the end of our show. So I'll just remind everybody that we would uh, very much like to hear more listener questions. I very much appreciate uh, the listeners who have emailed us already. Uh, we love getting these questions and they make for uh, great discussion. So please email us any sort of things that you are curious about, uh, you know, regarding quizzing or the Bible or CPQZ or any of these meets or anything sort of related that you'd like us to handle on the show. Uh, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Inside Quizzing. All right. Thanks, Scott. And thanks, everybody. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody.